again in Hal Draper. Yeah. Hal Draper opening up with both barrels against the Blonkiest <laughs> once again. These people deserve it, Dan. They're subhuman. They're sickos. I, you know, I think I'm just going to start instead of using socialism from above or socialism from below, everyone I disagree with is either going to be a Blankiest or a Jacobin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking Jacobin. And sometimes it's like Jacobin. You're Jacob, Jacobin. Jacobin. Oh, Jacobin. Oh, no. Sometimes it's Jacobin and sometimes it's... What's like Jacobins, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to not say Jacobites. Jacobites. Yeah, exactly. far too much confusion. I've got confused with that one in the past. We should, do a whole, we should find a reading on the Jacobites and then halfway through realize it's not the Jacobins. <laughs> Wait a minute. I can't decide if I'm hot or if I'm cold. So there might be a lot of rustling today. Uh-huh. I don't know. Are we on? We are on, oh. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're on. We're on. I heard that the um, that, um, that that baseball team, what you like, <laughs> made sure. it to the playoffs once again. They did, it's yes. It's a bit of a formality at this point. Yeah, it know. is. Um, <clears throat> still one game behind the Giants, which is so frustrating because it's like, I mean, you don't care, but it's like the Giants weren't supposed to be good and they've been the best team in baseball. And it's just like, uh, nice. I hate them. Nice. <laughs> My brave, beautiful Giants. Oh, the bastards. <laughs> I mean, it was so frustrating. Like last night, the Dodgers were about to win. The Dodgers won. And then basically, like as soon as an RBI went in that like guaranteed that we were going to win, the Giants, who were down, scored a couple runs and they won their game again, too. So it's like there's still this one game gap with only just like toying a week with you. or two. Yeah, it's mad, yeah. It's so bad. And it's, it's okay, I'll stop on this soon, but it's like so maddening Jack because, been like, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's so maddening because the couple years ago when the Dodgers lost in the World Series and it was because the other team cheated, Houston, like that made me realize, like, oh, this is what it actually means to dislike a team, right? Because it's like I had to, like, kind of, haha, I dislike the Giants. But it's like for no other reason that the, the, like we're just rivals. But it's like wow, I actually dislike them. But now it's like oh fuck, no, I actually do hate the Giants. They're uh-huh. like better than uh-huh. the Dodgers. God uh-huh. damn it! Uh, what are you gonna do? Anyway, sports. Mm. Yeah, yeah. In it. You know what I had uh, yesterday, Dan? Not yesterday. Two days ago. Um, I felt I felt depressed about things for the first time in a while. Mm. Is, you I, mean like the state of the world? The state of the world. Yeah. yeah, it was mainly about climate. I wanted to bring this up just because I think a long time ago we talked about like the difference between like anger and like what 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 maybe what emotions are the most like useful to a socialist movements you yeah. know and I was talking with a guy that I work with and we were kind of just talking about mental health and stuff and he was saying that you know like depression comes up a lot and blah 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 and I was like yeah you know I I think instead like I don't really get depressed a whole lot I get like frustrated and angry and like really mad at things that don't make any sense. Um, but it was the first time in a long time, I think, the other day that I got kind of felt a little defeated. And it was mm. weird. It was like almost like a unique experience just because I was like, I don't know, I was just thinking about like the trajectory of like loss of farmland and like the possibility of famine in our lifetime. And that was starting to freak me out. But it was just weird. It was like I kind of didn't really know how to like deal with that. So I was like, I should be mad. But instead of being mad, I'm just, uh, it's just like a night where I was just like, yeah, man, can't deal with this. Mm. What are you going to do? I don't know whether I'm... I'm not often predisposed to that kind of worry. Mm. Maybe I ought to try and engage in it. it might keep me on my toes a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's what a I was l- thinking. A little yeah. dose of despair. Yeah. Keep me going. Mm. I have wondered in the past whether there is something which is appealing about a radical politics which so thoroughly sets itself against the state of the world. There's something appealing about that which le- I suppose lends itself to... A particular mental mental disposition, which is mm. ill at ease with the world anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> By which I mean to say, I've sometimes wondered whether my commitment to like socialism 
was basically just predicated my own lack of ability to cope with the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Something um, must not make sense. Yeah, and I and I suppose I I haven't felt that that in quite a long time because I've begun to grapple more seriously with what this kind of politics would be and would mean, mm. which is quite fortunate, I suppose, or quite helpful. Mm. Um. And I've also been doing a little bit of wrestling recently in terms of like, I suppose, the tendency towards blaming social circumstances or the state of the world or the system <laughs> for one's own problems, I suppose. And the, 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 Trying to find a middle ground between accepting there are social problems in the world mm. and then also trying not to let what's oneself be personally defeated, I suppose, by like said social social yeah. problems, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I suppose there is an alternative which um, in which one recognizes the problems in the world and sets oneself up as some kind of minimal agent. Yeah, that might actually be able to do something about it, you know. Like, yeah, it's not about like taking personal responsibility rather than seeing things as collective, but rather you can take personal responsibility for solving the problems of the collective, perhaps mm. in a collective as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Anyway, I don't know. I mean, it's it's funny, right? Because it's like when you once you make the break with liberalism, where you kind of stop going like. Where you stop using like bourgeois like statistics to justify your politics, if that makes sense. Where you kind of stop being like, oh, our GDP is so low here, but per capita in the socialist countries. Like as soon as you stop with that, you're like, wait a minute. This, this is all kind of dumb. Everything needs to be changed. I need to stop arguing in terms of effing GDP. Like once you make that break, it is very freeing because you kind of can just be completely like socialism would fix it you mm -hmm. know what i mean like it would be great it's all just kind of capitalism but then it is also like the other side of that coin is like it's all capitalism yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. no yeah it does feel i was i was thinking something similar recently like it does feel well one is led to make a kind of like almost a hell mary argument you know like yeah or like you set the possibility of saving the world <laughs> Upon something so abstract as like imagining what changed circumstances of production would mean for the entire edifice of our social structure kind of thing. Yeah. As opposed to just talking about redistribution kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah voting them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you can get a bit lost in the weeds of that and be like... I don't know. Yeah. How... how I, 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 it would not... Yeah, it, it would be... Um, abnormal for one not to occasionally question mm -hmm. the sanity of a commitment to sure. such an abstract goal i suppose mm. and even to, to just like i think you're right just like a little bit of despair is like that's probably good because if you don't have any despair i don't know what, what's what's going on yeah. <laughs> like are you a psychopath like, i don't know um, so yeah, I think that's what I settled on. I'm back to just being pissed off about everything right now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my, dude. We once again make our staunch commitment towards anger. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. The bullshit about the, I don't know if you saw the photos of like, that have been doing the rounds of like, you know, the Haitian asylum seeker is being rounded up by like, have you not seen it? No, it's no. so brutal. It's like by, rounded up by border guys, border cops, but they're on horses and they're literally using whips. And it's oh just like, God. it's like, 
yeah, I don't know. It's just like it's is, like the literal like slave catcher. Exactly. Sort of it is like under Obama, it was just like deport everybody, deport everybody, deport everybody. Yeah. And then Trump came along, and he was like, "But what about if we stopped legal immigration as well?" And it's like, "Boy, thank God Trump Trump's gone." And it's like now we're still doing the same thing. It's yeah. like it's it's. I don't know if we need to be reminded, but it is legal to seek asylum. So anyway, I'm pissed. Like, I, I didn't get that sad. Like, I'm just, I'm so fucking mad, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's good. I'm back to that, which is yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, worth reiterating. There's no such thing as an illegal asylum seeker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or an illegal person, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is a very pro-immigrant podcast. I'll say that, government. Please. <laughs> please, government. Please. Um well, Dan, I think you bought up uh, something that we're going to be talking about today. Oh, the, the idea of, um, I think we're getting closer to this idea of what can you do? You know what I mean? Because I think that's like a big question around once you start reading socialist theory or whatever, like, well, what can you do? And I think that last week, uh, I myself was a little worried that perhaps there's nothing you can do. Perhaps it's all material circumstances, baby. And I, I think if you go back and listen to last week's episode, that's not where we end. Because um, we had a discussion on the limits of political revolution, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think in this week's reading, we get at least some suggestions of things that you yourself, royal listener, can do um, to help out the cause. Um, and I really dug this week's reading, I think. <laughs> what did we read, Jack? What did we read? <laughs> uh, returning champion Hal Draper. He's back. He's at it again. Um, uh, Anatomy of a Microsect which is itself a micro kind of bit of writing. It was very good. Um, 1973, and uh, the original title of this document was a position paper by the Independent Socialist Committee, which was just kind of like a publishing company, I guess, that Hal Draper was involved with. Um, And this basically sets out to analyze how in the new left years, um, that's kind of like at the latter end, I suppose, why it's all just sects and why there's no big movement and what is a sect and how can we avoid being part of a sect? And once again, Hal Draper is very enlightening, I thought. Very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A great font of knowledge for our, um, I don't know, mm. feeble mind. Fountain. <laughs> Gaunt King, too, we shall say. Quite, quite, quite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I th- yeah, another excellent text. Mm. Um yeah, like a, I guess at base, like an organizational one, right? Yeah. Or like a tactical text, mm. um, starting with the state of American socialist politics in the mid-century, I suppose, but quite well applicable to any point in time post. Yeah. What, like nineteen thirty or something? Yeah. Sadly, certainly, more applicable. Certainly, now. quite applicable today. Although I feel like. Um, the prescriptions and recommendations made by Hal Draper in this text are certainly closer to being realized or formalized or put into action. They're, they're, they are the operating principle of far more organizations in present day American politics than they were in his day kind of thing. Okay, I yeah. think Hal Draper and his concept of the Marxist center is definitely getting a new hearing and is very uh, um, inspiring or essential to the organization of certain groups, particularly ones internal to the uh, Democratic Socialists of America. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? But yeah, definitely getting the hearing. Yeah. Um, which it certainly deserves to have. So it's a short text, 
Mm. Go out and look at it yourselves. This is one I think we'll say, read it. Read it. Yeah, we yeah, generally yeah. say don't read it because, you know, what are you going to do? Read it. But read this. I think it's very good. <laughs> Easy to read and uh, fountain of knowledge. Yeah. As yeah, you say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically just starts out, what is the sect? What is the sect form? How did we end up in the position where Marxists and socialists in America, but in the UK as well, had basically just fashioned themselves into a series of sects, <laughs> micro-sects. Yeah. Um, like I don't know, micro, one, micro one person sex. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Um, the remnants of splits upon splits upon splits, uh, disagreeing on incredibly minor doctrinaire. He uses the phrase programmatic shibboleths quite yeah. a lot in this text. I know like, that rocked. I love um, that. And how it's certainly detrimental to socialist organizing, but actually, even in a number of times in this text, the efforts of these sects are when they actually try and engage with the real workers' movement as it exists at the time, actually actively detrimental to the workers' mm -hmm. movement as well, when mm -hmm. they ought to be actually trying to help it. So Actively um, cringe as well. <laughs> There's a lot of possibilities for cringe from the <laughs> So yeah, 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 yeah. Not productive, not productive as yeah. an organisational form. And how Draper rips them one. Yeah, he does. And he does not... Exactly, uh, yeah, well, as you say, it does not come out very uh, nicely on the sect. And it's go it's cool, too, because, like, with a lot of readings, I, it would have been, I think, expected if he went into this trying to talk about the sect and then just ripped it a new one and then did nothing. But I think, as we'll see, like, he does actually put forward, like, some suggestions for what might be an alternative form of a sect. I loved this bit so much. I just got to read these couple sentences. This is like maybe some of my favorite paragraph we've read so far. So this is under the heading about the road to an American socialist movement. It's kind of just like the introduction, but he says, since there are socialists in America, but no socialist movement, it is understandable that the socialists will say, let's go and form a socialist movement. All considerations argue for this obvious step and there are no arguments against it. Well, that's good. I gotta just stop reading. There, <laughs> there we go. Oh, it's agreed. It's agreed. Yeah, thanks, Al Draper. Uh, except one, he says. This is the fact, the historical fact, that no one can decide to make a revolution. Whatever is formed by fiat will turn out to be a sect alongside the other sects, even if it is the better kind of sect, which believes in not being sectarian. So this is, yeah, that rocks so much. The non-sectarian thing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, this one's non-sectarian. If, if you, if you believe in that bullshit, you can't join. <laughs> um, so we, yeah, we came across ideas similar to this last week, and we've been kind of coming across them more and more recently, this idea of like, what you try and do on purpose to make a revolution probably probably won't work. And it's interesting, right? Because like this, I think I frame this as like, this is probably obvious, but like in the dichotomy between the like concrete and abstract that you come across in like uh, the first chapter of Capital, which I'll have you know we've read, um, you know, this idea of like concrete labor being the stuff that you do, abstract being the stuff is like as a society does. And when you're a socialist and you're like, I want to go out and make the socialist revolution, that's kind of equivalent to like the concrete, right? Like that's what can I do? What can I do? I want to go out and make this thing happen. But you have to realize that like a revolution is something that's a bit more abstract. It's something that like has to happen, as we saw last week, like when the circumstances are correct. And then when those circumstances are correct, hopefully, fingers crossed, the world doesn't end by then, um, everyone will come together and kind of like there will be this revolution and everything's fine and we get socialism and it's fine. Um, but again, you know, what we're seeing here is that Draper is basically saying that like, while it is perfectly laudable to, like, want to go out and make the revolution, um, what will happen is if you do that, you're going to go out and make a sect. 
And he kind of gets to why that happens in a bit and explains kind of, you know, a little bit more in depth as to why that happens. But that is kind of the framing device for this entire essay is that like, you know, don't just try and go out and try and make it happen yourself because that's what everyone has done kind of. And that's where all of these sects come from. <laughs> and he does counterpose the idea of creating the movement by fiat. Mm. He counterposes that to another idea that we've come across previously, which is spontaneity. Just sure. waiting for yeah. the movement to emerge <laughs> from conditions kind of thing. And I suppose it's difficult, like, the history of the... I mean, I guess the history of the socialist movement in general is replete with examples of intellectuals or non-workers, people who are sort of see themselves as almost outside of the movement of history and yeah. sort of like they have the ideas and they're sort of waiting for them to be taken up kind of thing. And what's nice about this text is it reminds us that we all exist internal to the movement somewhere, somehow, and we all have a role to play or a potential role to play. Mm. So I guess his answer to spontaneity to some extent is we should never see ourselves outside of the movement and not in a position to... Um, act however minorly in pushing or creating or developing that movement mm. um but at the same time it's not about subordinating the movement to your will um so he's sort of like advocating for this middle ground between uh, the resignation i suppose which is spontaneity yeah and also the primary role of the sect which is to imagine oneself as the the new central committee in waiting kind of thing. Um, <laughs> in exile. In, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I bought up I bought up cringe, but like kind of on a more serious note, like a lot of this does just kind of become cringe if that's what you try and do. Like if you think of, you know, the classic like going to the people in Russia where it was like, we have all these ideas, let's just bring them to the factory workers and the peasants. And then they like went to like the local tavern in like, you know, Siberia or whatever and started talking all the shit. And then the peasants just like called the cops because they were like, who the hell is this yeah, guy? Yeah, What's yeah, going yeah. on? Well, like like neo-neurotmics. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. <laughs> the I mean, new left. Or like exactly. <laughs> it has its analog as Draper's saying, and this is kind of what he's reacting against with this in American socialist history of like new lefties who were like, I can see what needs to be done. Let me go tell the common factory worker. And then, you know, you go to the factory and like immediately your hand gets chopped off or something like that. And they're like, why would we listen to this guy at all? Um, it's kind of something similar to that. And I mean, like, well, what, what a lot of people might do isn't nearly as dramatic as like going to the people or whatever. There are kind of analogs that are a little bit more, I don't know, realistic, I suppose, in these ideas of like, I have my ideas. They're the right ones. I'm going to start my little sect and you can't join if you have different ideas, right? And then it just becomes infighting and that's what a sect is. That definitely happens more often, I'd say. I suppose in that instance, what you're doing is starting from the position of ideas and expecting to accrete a movement around your superior ideas <laughs> rather than um, starting with a movement and then attempting to influence that movement in... A positive direction but always subordinating yourself to the movement rather than trying to subordinate the movement to you yeah um i don't know yeah well i think i think it might be worth kind of skipping ahead a bit past because he talks a lot about trade unions he talks a lot about iskra actually but i think it might be worth just to kind of round out his thoughts on um 
sectarian ideas and stuff like this, just to say that, like, the reason that a lot of these sects have happened, like, the thesis that he puts forward is, you know, why is the American socialist movement just sects is because there's no mass movement, right? He basically, like, comes out and says towards the end of the essay, like, without a mass movement, no matter what you're trying to do, it's just going to resort to political infighting. And he has that great line that that you brought up before he started recording of, like, you know, this centrifugal, this, I can't say these words, but this centrifugal force of, like, you know, spinning outwards from the, the center. Centrifugal force. Centrifugal, thank you. <laughs> of, like, uh, the political infighting that will eventually rip a sect apart or when you try and merge a sect together that'll eventually, you know, people have petty political infighting and it'll rip it apart. It's sometimes, if you have a mass movement, he says, it will be balanced out by the centri- centripical? Centripetal? Centripetal force, the other one, going towards <laughs> the center of the of the common class struggle and of the common goals of the working class. So, you know, we, I suppose this is, these are ideas that we kind of came across when we talked to Cliff a little bit. But um, the idea of, like, merging these two things together, right? One might call it a bit of a merger formula. But Hal Draper here explains it in a lot more practical terms of just being, like, you know... <laughs> the political infighting in a sect is just going to rapidly like rip it apart, but it can be held together by the mass movement if you have a mass movement. And the reason why none of these, you know, why you only have sects in American, the American socialist movement is because there is no mass movement, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah, we came across this in our first Hal Draper reading on the socialism of, from above, socialism mm. from the below. I don't think he specifically uses the phrase merger formula, but um, Hal Draper is saying that like, Marx's great insight, the core and essence of Marxism is to say that um, Marxism is the merger of the socialist movement with the workers' movement or like it's the it's the effort to have the workers' movement adopt socialist aims, aspirations and work toward a socialist outcome, I mm. suppose. And the same is reiterated wholeheartedly here. You cannot have a meaningful socialist movement that doesn't orientate itself toward the to a mass movement toward the workers movement and he quotes from marx several times i can't remember the explicit quote about marx is far more committed to moving the workers movement even an inch in the right direction is far more important than any amount of like programmatic unity or internal party maneuvering and this kind of thing like it's all about the movement and how you can move it in a positive direction Mm. Um, it's far more important. Yeah. And in, in like a bit of a kind of a more of a game theory sense, he kind of brings up trade unions, right? Because he basically says that like trade unions kind of break, American trade unions at least, kind of break the sex socialist's brain a little bit because they're like, wait a minute, this is the workers' movement, but it's being run by bureaucrats and it basically is just for the aims of the bourgeoisie. Think like any, literally any American trade union <laughs> alive yeah. today. Um um, but he basically says, like, you don't have to have that brain-breaking approach to trade unions. It's like, you you can't, uh, you, like, on one hand, you shouldn't just reject them entirely, because that's dumb, and this is, like, however milk toast it is, this is an example of, like, you know, the workers' movement, that there are trade unions or whatever, even if they're being run by bureaucrats or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, you can't just give them complete support. So he basically argues, I guess, for, like, I think he calls it, like, a... Uh, 
I have it in front of me, but I, I'm just looking at words and they mean nothing. <laughs> I, it's a, a loyal opposition, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I really, I really appreciate yeah. because, again, it's something that you can do and it makes sense. Yeah. But he's basically he's... saying, be loyal to the trade union. You like trade unions. Don't be an idiot. You're a socialist. You like trade unions. But you need to be unwavering in your beliefs that these need to be used for socialism and the end goal of getting rid of wage labor and getting rid of capitalism and not just like, hey, we got a 32 cent raise over the next five years. Yeah, it's part of his political strategy, which is to say that you need a um, need to, in, in the US, the socialist movement needs to develop within the trade unions a substantive like progressive block, you know, with a view to basically moving the trade union movement to toward being or adopting a model of class struggle unionism rather than business unionism, yeah. which is what you describe. Um, and he also so when he's talking about the 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 movement that he intends to engender, he talks about it being when he's talking about the loyal opposition, he's kind of suggesting it's not necessarily loyalty to the bureaucracy, but to the actual aims of the the union itself kind of thing like, yeah at least to the union form and um the way it the way the workers represent themselves through trade unions i suppose mm. sort of loyalty to that activity and loyal to to the workers one of the things one of the one of the times when he's crit criticizing the operations of some members of the new left in their relationship towards trade unions and the workers is that they um sort of go to help the workers but they don't become workers themselves they decide to volunteer for the trade unions which is what the trade unions were kind of calling for but mm. they gradually become quite disillusioned with the trade unions start to advocate for i mean he clearly seems to be talking as if this was a general trend yeah although he's talking in quite abstract terms but they gradually become anti-democratic to some extent begin to think that it's for them to tell the trade unions what to do kind of thing um, rather than promote and advocate for the members of the trade unions to make their own decisions and to actually enable the working class, I suppose. Yeah, and he, I mean, he also just says that, like, another outcome of that is just that they, like, get so frustrated with the, the workers. He uses the example of farm workers. You kind of get the feeling he's talking maybe about, I don't know, a very specific union, but, mm. like... You know, if you're just some sect boy and you are like, I'm going to go do socialism by doing entryism into this farm workers union. Um, one outcome of that is just you realize that these people are not receptive to like another bureaucrat telling them what to do. And, you know, then you get frustrated and you denounce them and you go, you know, this is not worthy of my time. Um, <laughs> you get the I don't know too much about Hal Draper's life. It's hard to find honestly much about him. But like you get the feeling that he has like experience with all of this stuff. And he's just writing about like that guy that he knew <laughs> coming back to trade unionism i'm definitely guilty myself of in the past having adopted maybe what i'd call like a sort of ultra left attitude toward the trade unions which is basically to just tar them all as being business unions i suppose um charge them with being um agents of de-radicalizing the working class um, stabilizing capitalism, um, sort of negotiating with capitalists to maintain the capitalist system kind of thing, and have certainly in the past thought that trade unions were kind of a busted flush for that role that they had played in um, sort of de-radicalizing the working class or not representing working class aspiration. Um, 
it's quite a nice schooling that one gets in this text uh, when Hal Draper is talking about Marx and Marx's attitude toward the trade unions. He's sort of saying that there were certainly people even pre-Marx that had that similar disposition toward the trade unions. Um, and he sort of explains Marx's sort of like pro-trade union stance in the light of this concept of kind of the merger formula, right? And like going to the place where the workers are and actually influencing the real workers' movement. Like this is the place where workers have organized themselves. Mm. Why would you sort of seek to imagine some other organization or form that doesn't even exist, you know? Yeah. Um, whether it's going to materialize magically in the revolution or not, I'm not really sure, but like... yeah. I don't yeah. know, I'm definitely moved, not that I was necessarily in and continue to still be an adherent to that uh, ultra-left position, but yeah. um, I was definitely moved by this text, more toward at least like considering it a more legitimate argument to say this is where the workers are, so this is where one ought to be organizing. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean also like if you come across someone with that attitude and you're kind of trying to maybe talk a, a bit of sense and to them like it would make sense maybe a little bit for them to be like well i don't want to be i don't want to get so involved that i'm going to have to be a part of this loyal opposition whatever like there is always too the idea that it's like well even if it is bureaucratic like it is it is helping workers like to a certain extent obviously right like in a reformist sense of course but like the only the only union that i have like actual concrete experience with through my family and through working on non-union jobs and union jobs is iatsi which is like very large union in Los Angeles. And it is basically like most of the crew workers and even like, I think like screen actors too in film. And like the, the difference between a union job and a non-union job is like big. <laughs> like it's, you know, uh, IATSE is no bastion of revolutionary activity, but like uh, it, it helps a lot. So I guess all I'm saying is like, you know, you could you could kind of have this left attitude against unions, but even just like on a practical level, it's just like, okay, non-union jobs are like 18-hour days and they don't give you breaks and they give you McDonald's for lunch. Uh, or you could have a union job, which like, yeah, it's a reformist and that sucks, but also like, yeah, it's a bit better. You're only working 12 and you get a lunch and some breaks. You know yeah. what I mean? So. And do you, think, do you think people's experience, do you think your experience and the people that you were around was that unions are positive and they are to be held responsible for the fact that those jobs are better kind of thing was it de was it deliberately clearly known and did it did it move people to have a de intentioned advocacy for trade unions maybe i think yeah it it i mean the the phrase union job and non-union job is like gets tossed around a lot and if you have to do a non-union job it sucks and you know that it's because no one from your union is going to come around and be like yo what the hell give them their breaks or like this lunch sucks or okay they've been working x hours but also like two things i would say that's kind of a bit balanced out by the idea that like these that union like most unions is pretty exclusionary exclusionary um it protects its workers and it doesn't let many other workers in and that's kind of changing a bit i guess um, maybe just purely because of the demographics are completely changing in California or have kind of completely changed, but also like you still got to pay union dues and there are a lot of things that suck. And like, this is kind of ammo for like explaining why perhaps you need to be part of the loyal opposition within a union because it's like paying union dues kind of sucks. And also like, yeah, you get health insurance and you get a retirement plan, but like kind of sucks. And you're constantly like 
at a risk of like pretty much everybody works under IATSE as an independent contractor. And like, if you don't get enough, uh, hours, your medical plan can change or whatever. And that really sucks. And you can kind of blame the union for that as you rightfully should. Um, so I think like in terms of answering that question, like, yeah, it's definitely seen as a good and you kind of need to be a part of the union if you want to have like a lot of the crew jobs that I've worked, but like, there are some things that balance it out that people get frustrated with, and rightly so. And I suppose that's because there is no one in that union that's like, yo, but what if this was an organ for class power, though? Like, what if this was a workers' party, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I suppose that's just what Draper's saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess, yeah, that what the union means or doesn't mean is very much like baked in and not open to change kind of thing. It and is. nobody's like... It's concretely well, what like, you're Nobody's getting. working to push the bounds of yeah. what it even means for well, a trade union a, to be it, a trade a, union. Yeah, it's I mean, such it's, a big bureaucracy that it's like, change the union? Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And I suppose also in this country and particularly in the US, there is so much like trade union and anti-trade union legislation that mm. what a trade union can and can't do is so heavily dictated by... Uh, well, in the States, it's like, it's mostly state law, right? But like... Yeah. Um, yeah so I mean I guess for for a positive step for trade unions would be an actual willingness to break the law potentially and what yeah. they were willing to do but yeah I don't know yeah no I mean absolutely and also just like the union isn't going to appoint radical people on its own you know what I mean and nobody wants to really get involved with it but it's also funny because like at the end of the day too like there are Trump guys who are like pro Yahtzee of mm. course because mm. they recognize but then again, I mean, this just gets into a whole other question of like, how can you have that dissonance in your brain of like being an anti-union child, but being part of a union and liking your union? Like, I think that's kind of just comes out of the way that unions operate in America now is not really being like industrial in any way. They're very much like exclusionary and yeah, whatever. That's a different conversation. But um, loyal opposition, I suppose, is what I'm coming away from this from. <laughs> yes, you, sh- you should be, if you were in IATSE, um, make people communists (laughs) (laughs) yeah i suppose i do wonder whether now that i've just said like trade unions to break the law but like maybe that's not what to advocate for but rather doing that work of uh building a um a group around yourself in your trade union who i don't know uh Get it. Recog- get it. <laughs> recognize themselves as socialists and recognize what the socialist project is and recognize where the trade union can and can't help toward the socialist project as it stands at the moment. But you are um, ready and able to be uh, members of a new organization or um, a new radical movement. Mm information i suppose yeah well yeah and i mean that kind of gets into his answer to like the what can you do right and it is pretty much exactly what you're saying i'm going to kind of chop up what he says but he basically says from the point of view of the individual socialist who wants to do something <laughs> you know i needed quotes there i think that's kind of funny we would summarize our suggestion as follows and i'm chopping this up but he just basically says crystallize a circle of co-thinkers around you wherever you are and make contact with a political center that makes sense from your own point of view um, we'll get into kind of what a political center is, but I think while we're on the subject, we should kind of talk about what it means to like crystallize a circle of co-thinkers. Like this can kind of mean anything you want, but I think basically what he's saying is like at your job, wherever you are, like there, like in every job I've ever had, the best people to work with and the people that you enjoy working with are the ones that are like 
a little bit subversive, but in a kind of like communal way. Like we joked about this a while ago about like, I was complaining about somebody shirking work and you were like, yes, shirking work should be done, you know, as a group. And it's like, that, that absolutely <laughs> makes sense because it's like at every job I've had, like you find ways around things that aren't like the correct way of doing it. And you find better ways of doing things and you find ways to not do things that are, you know, effing stupid. And so like, I suppose kind of a bit of what Draper's saying is like, these subversive attitudes exist and like it would not take a monumental amount of effort to steer these in the direction that would that could potentially be useful should a socialist revolution mm -hmm. come around you know and and easy actually kind of says it's necessary i guess i feel like when i'm at work i like to recognize and advocate for those kind of like sort of collective solutions or recognitions of um collectivity or solidarity or common interest mm. what i have never done and i guess what draper is advocating <laughs> that i ought do is actually attach the word socialist yeah. <laughs> to some of that work you know yeah. um and actually build a group around oneself of co-thinkers um moving or working toward an explicit understanding of politics which is the daunting thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's very, it's funny. Like, I feel like I'm sort of comfortable finding in my everyday life yeah. co-thinkers, but how much does that connect to a mass or a mass movement? Initially, he talks about um, creating a circle around oneself in your workplace, and then he does extend that to sort of school or university or what have you. And then later on, he sort of he sort of talks about um, your efforts to influence a mass movement, and so it sort of opens up the space for that circle that one is building around oneself to be in some movement of persons that's not necessarily one's workplace, I suppose. Um, and I guess it's an open question for me: where is and isn't? the appropriate space or the tactically astute space to be creating one circle. But I guess it's in the actual operation of your life and not just a sort of like intellectual circle of people that you find not particularly connected to the sort of like material substance of the yeah. world. I'm just jumbling words together now, but yeah. you know what I, I mean? I know what you like, mean, yeah. Because otherwise you're just building a sect, right? Yeah, like, yeah, there's exactly. an extent to which one would just be building a sect rather than uh, building a group of co-thinkers that were actually connected to a movement. Yeah. Well, he's definitely not advocating you, like, go up to somebody you work with, grab them by the lapels and be like, when was your crunch, dad? <laughs> right? Like, he's not asking you to, like, make everybody <laughs> yeah, happy. Yeah, yeah, that's how you work out what, who, your, who your allies are, <laughs> yeah. who your co-thinkers are. It was crunch, dad? Yeah. Get out. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, and this is what I've had minor success with, more so just because I'm, like, constantly complaining at work. Um you don't necessarily have to use the word socialist or communist. It would be extremely helpful if you did. Maybe sometime down the line you do. I think Workers' Party is very helpful, especially in the American uh, kind of theater. But, like, it's really helpful to explain to people, I think, the issues with wage labor. Because, like, if you, like, I don't, if you just say to people, like, 
hey, wouldn't it be great if we got rid of wages and money? They're going to be like, whoa, <laughs> like, oh, that's kind of insane. But like if you were, if you can like, okay, when we started this podcast and I was working at the warehouse, it was very easy to just be like, God damn it, I wish we had more autonomy from our bosses. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of crazy, right? And like we know how to do our jobs a lot better than them. And it's a lot better when they aren't around so we can just sort things out. Um, and then it was very easy to be like, hey, uh, you know, doesn't it suck that they get, you know, 30 minutes on either side of our shifts of free labor and they just don't pay us for it? Doesn't that really suck? And like everybody, no matter who you're talking to, everybody is open to that stuff wherever you work, right? And so like if you kind of just like can get people interested in that and get people interested in like, well, why does that happen? It isn't just because our boss is a jerk, right? Like our boss is a jerk, but also like not every boss on the planet could possibly be a jerk, right? Um that, I think, is the better way to go about it. And then, like, well, way down the line, if someone's interested in learning about Kronstadt or whatever, like, that's <laughs> that's kind of when you get to it. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it is better to root, and I guess this is what he's saying, right, is root what you're saying in the concrete lives of everybody around you. And just, I there's an implicit, like, don't be a freak, don't be weird, don't be, like, you know, the Lenin cap-wearing person at the student union. Like, you don't want to be that guy, you know what I mean? Like... Um, we've all come across, you know, trots. Don't be them. Be normal. <laughs> be cool. And like, yeah, I don't know. People who've already built a sect of one. Yeah, exactly. Although there is the killer sentence, you are the smallest unit political center there is. Mm. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I thought I kind of felt like that made allusions to cybernetics, even mm. if the even if the overlap wasn't sure clear or worked out it had these kind of like recursion yeah 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 yeah, yeah. sort of poetic allusion to it at least which was nice mm. yeah i mean i suppose we should get into kind of talking about what he meant by political center right mm. because he says the point number two is make contact with the political center that makes sense from your point of view and in this you kind of he talks a lot about east green he talks about lenin um as if you don't know that was classic commie newspaper that lenin uh was on the editorial board of um Political center here in Draper's sense, kind of, this is a bit outdated, but it kind of just means newspaper, it seems like, or some kind of literary, like, public publishing house or something, uh, which makes sense because it's kind of he's practicing what he preaches. But it's basically, like, you need some way of having a center, right? And he doesn't mean, like, I don't know, we were talking a little bit about how it kind of took us a second to understand what he means by political center. It doesn't mean, like... You know, neither left nor right, horseshoe theory, baby. Like, what he means is, like, an actual center for your activities. And he kind of uses a newspaper to explain, like, this is a great way of doing it. Because you can publish articles on a bunch of different things. You can have ideological consistency. And you can kind of point to the newspaper and be like, here's this. This is what we think. Isn't that great? Would you like to also think these things, too? Here, yeah. You can join the newspaper or whatever, I guess. But, um, yeah. I suppose... I suppose the reason he says there need to be those two things is like talk with people that you know and crystallize co-thinkers or whatever and also have a political center is because there needs to be some kind of base that you use for your ideological grounds, right? And the newspaper is just one of those. Yeah, he kind of talks about it as if it's a kind of aid to your activity kind of thing. You gain like propaganda materials or I don't know, some direction in action, I say, some kind of training um, and there are some, there is a section in this when he's actually quite um, he celebrates or at least doesn't condemn uh, <laughs> a particular activity of the sect, which is expressly this right. They do actually like take in people with and sort of like nurture their potential, nurture their ideas, um, 
educate them, but also give them a kind of practice to adopt and adhere to ways of relating to people, a kind of training. Sure. Um, and he does say that, like, if 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 the if the political center that seems most expedient <laughs> to you is a sect, there's no reason. <laughs> for you to a to a sue association just because they are a sect yeah it basically says don't join because <laughs> if you join and you have some opportunity some if you're in a position to vote on or determine in some way their doctrinaire positions then you're at the same time you have to adhere to those positions and your possibility to propagandize or to work might be curtailed by the necessity to adhere to those programmatic shibboleths yeah. um but if it's advantageous to have that association, then have the association. Why not? And no, no, there's no reason why it has to be one sect, right? It, it could be multiple if you want to engage with people in that way. It's certainly advantageous to be around people who have the same ideas and you can develop your ideas and your thinking in, a, in that kind of forum mm. and also to take guidance and resources back to your own collective, Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And I think this was practiced to at least like some uh, success. I, I, I honestly don't really know how much success. So I'll just say great success uh, why not? With, the, uh, with the United Farm Workers. And when Chavez and all those lads were uh, beginning kind of, you know, this quest for like one large union to, you know, help basically just help out like every farm worker in California. Um, there was like a paper that got at least some of it started. Right. And like. It's really easy to relate to people's lives in that way when you have, like, a mixture, I suppose, of, like, theories on the way things should go. One might call that socialism. And also just, like, directing that to concrete examples of people's lives. Like, damn, did you see that, like, Billy got his leg crushed because the forklift wasn't following this protocol? That really sucks. You know it would make it better? No, not if we had, like, you know, stricter bureaucracies and, like, pumped more money into the union. What would make it better is, like, damn, maybe if we could actually run these things. Um... And I kind of don't really know how to apply this to now. I suppose it's just like the internet, right? But then it's like, that's a bit of a technological determinist standpoint because it's like the internet and like Twitter specifically is like the ultimate collection of one person's sex, right? Um, so I don't know how you'd kind of have this. I suppose it's just like an, you, the easy answer is an online newspaper. But um, yeah, I don't know. It needs to be something, I guess. I still like the idea of a physical newspaper. I think that's cool. I don't know. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's it. Nice, like, maybe like a nice, like, quarterly journal. Something <laughs> like that. Something that appeals to my sort of like a steeped hipster, sort of like having nice books, having nice things. Kind leather of. bound. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know about the leather, but. <laughs> um, Should we talk about Lenin? I want to talk about Lenin. Yeah, we can. This definitely ties <laughs> he, into Lenin. He makes it? The, he, he basically he says that Marx was violently opposed to the sect form, hmm. um, and then he somewhat, I suppose, potentially controversially, but not really, says that Lenin was as well, hmm. um, and that's quite surprising to some people who have adopted the kind of like mainstream understanding of what Lenin and Leninism is, and particularly for people who have experienced like Leninist or Marxist-Leninist um, sects, because he sort of suggests that the the sects which model themselves as Leninist have actually adopted the sort of the, the perception of Leninism and Bolshevism that's actually propagated by anti-Bolshevik sort of like 
even anti-communist um, historians. Lenin out of context. Is yeah, the joke yeah, I yeah, made. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to remember what um, Larsley's description of the the general perception of what Lenin's position is is the, the textbook reading, the textbook interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's almost like the Leninist texts of the Leninist sects have adopted the textbook interpretation um, of uh, Lenin's sort of political strategy, which is actually nothing to do with what Lenin actually advocated. It's mm -hmm. the one that says Lenin was this doctrinaire thinker who set, set out to build a sect around himself, almost like build a cult of personality, was like ultra hostile to other groups, um, sought to take over and lead against its will almost, or to manipulate the workers' movement, to... <laughs> To create revolution by fiat, all of those things that we've just seen the sect described as are usually attributed to Lenin's politics, but actually were nothing to do with Lenin's politics as well. Um, if one reads or listens to Lars Lee's book on big book on Lenin and um, what is to be done, <laughs> he quite clearly demonstrates, in my view, I guess, that Lenin was very much in line with the mainstream of uh, social democratic politics as, as it existed um, at that period of time. And the way that Hal Draper describes Lenin's politics is to say that, or Lenin's strategy, I suppose, is to say that um, although he built around himself a centre, a Marxist centre in the form of the publication Iskra, although he built around himself a centre which advocated for a particular series of positions it was never adherence to those positions which determined whether one was or wasn't allowed in the movement yeah the socialist movement was always intended to be pluralistic and uh, multi-tendency and then the various political sentences were designed to vie for influence over the mass movement not in a manipulative way but in a way which was how do we actually guide it to success you know yeah. hegemony basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah 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 um whereas the sex model kind of takes the doctrinaire positions and makes it a prerequisite for membership of the movement that one has to agree with the doctrinaire positions kind of thing yeah um and that was never lenin or riskra's uh position and well, how Draper says that it was the right that... I mean, obviously, like, the German Social Democrats did split, <laughs> eventually. Um, how Draper says that it was the right that split. Um, I'm not entirely sure whether he's talking about the split in the Social Democrats or whether he's talking about the split of 1914 mm -hmm. with the outbreak of war. Um, but if one reads or listens to the final chapter of Lenin Rediscovered, it is shown that the people who did the most vociferous misrepresentation of their opposition was the Mensheviks and the right in their portrayal of Lenin. Lenin never made any effort to like misrepresent people's position, but everybody was misrepresenting Lenin all over the place kind of thing. <laughs> um, I get the... I, I'm willing to be an advocate for at least the idea that Lenin was the pluralist. Mm. Um, 
was the one for open discussion and debate kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's you, it's an important point to say that too, right? Because it's like, this is, this is again, what we talked about when we talked about when we talked with Cliff was this idea of like someone will have hegemony and like it isn't a sect if you have ideas. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can still have ideas and disagree with people and like only kind of want your people to believe one thing, but like it still needs to be a pluralist movement. It's like exactly what you're saying. Like it is okay to have your own beliefs and want that to be the set of ideas that gets attached to the workers movement. But like at the same time, you can't like close the movement off entirely because it's like well, you aren't like the gatekeeper of the movement, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, the first line of this, how Draper says that sect is a particularly sort of obscurantist phrase, I guess, and it's quite often associated as being a cuss word, is what yeah, is, yeah, which is particularly quaint. <laughs> but in it's what you were just saying, sort of resonates with the idea that like quite often, if you end up attacking someone or attacking the positions of a Grouplet, you are accused of being sectarian mm. when in this context that isn't what it means to be sectarian yeah um just simply criticizing people is not sectarianism kind of thing yeah um it's only when you seek to exclude them from um a right to be in the movement i guess yeah that it becomes problematic yeah and that's why that's all you see now, right? Is all you see is people infighting and like, goddamn anarchists, goddamn Maoists, goddamn this, goddamn that, when like nobody has any idea what any of those words mean. <laughs> and like, it doesn't matter at all because there's no large movement going on. Um, yeah, relentless kid yeah. criticism is still a good thing though, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But without the centripetal binding force <laughs> yeah. of actually being part of an active movement, it is unsurprising that uh ruthless criticism tears people and groups apart rather than binds <laughs> yeah and i like the idea too that he was like you know don't think this kind of like political infighting just will stop existing in the even in the perfect circumstances like it will and that's okay and that's actually good right but it's like you know the only thing that can really attempt to stop that or attempt to make everything so cohesive that it doesn't just fly apart is mm -hmm. that mass movement mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah because um the perfect program and ideological purity are not the things which make revolutions. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the sort of like messy activity of history that one can't really predict or uh, direct. But it's about building the most able and most resilient movement that's able to act proactively when the circumstances emerge. It's about doing your best. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a self-help text. Yeah, it's like, yeah. get out there and do your best, you know, and don't exclude anybody. Hmm. And it's worth saying, I guess, after all that talking about Lenin, is that, like, how Draper says explicitly, he's not advocating for a pure adherence to the Lenin model or the Iskra yeah. model or the Erfurt model. Um, that's a reference to the Erfurt program, which is the program sure. of the German Social Democrats. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um but what he is saying that, like, as you said before, a revolution has never been, or a revolutionary, a revolution has never been made. Mm. Sex cannot go out and make a movement. The only model that's ever actually been demonstrated to work is this model of pluralistic schools of thought, which on an individual level embed themselves in the real lives 
of people and in the actual movement of social life. Yeah. Um, supported by a never-increasing um, intellectual understanding of what has to be done, I suppose. And as you say, the winning of hegemony in a movement by a particular set of ideas such that that movement is able to act in a coherent way when the time comes. Yeah. That's the only model that's ever worked. Yeah. He, he compares it to the sort of like the model of the sect, which is one of accretion, right? We hope that we start off as a micro sect and we collect a few more people and we become a real sect. And eventually we, we out press the newspapers. threshold into being legitimately a movement and a mass party. Kind yeah. Of thing. Um, but every sect imagines that they're going to be the one that becomes the mass party. <laughs> and when we talk about building a party, we don't intend to start with a name and a badge and <laughs> a, um, a national convention or something. Yeah, It's about building the movement first and the movement demands or develops itself into a party because it needs that kind of formation and unity and collectivity and structure. Mm. It's not about starting with the party and being like, right, Jack and I are going to go out and, <laughs> I don't know, win the next election. Well, we are going to do that. We are going to do that, but like, <laughs> it's another thing entirely. <laughs> yeah, it's also definitely important to say, um, I think you hit the nail on the head about like these little like crystallized circles of co-thinkers will kind of mean nothing without a political center. And we've kind of gone over that, but like vice versa is also true. Like the political center will mean absolutely nothing if there aren't people that are involved and you're actually like involved with people's lives, right? It's like, if you were to put a percentage on like, you know, how much of your co-thinking circles of crystallized thought or whatever, the people that you talk to should be about like doing communism and hey, read my newspaper versus like, Hey, how can we make things better? And how can we improve our lives? And what can we do? Hey, we're working class, but like, you know, what can we do to like make all of this better? It would be like 90% the latter, right? Like it would be mainly the latter. Because um, if it were kind of to be anything else, it would be a little cringe. You know, you'd basically just be like the Stalinist being like, communism, dude. Mm -hmm. But also like I say that, but like it, it's going to be a bit embarrassing. Like mm -hmm. especially if you use the word socialism or communism, but like. It is much better to do that than to do nothing or to just repeat, like, democratic bullshit, right, that everyone's always heard. Because it's like, I, you know, I've had to come to terms with this. It's like, it is better to embarrass yourself and say stuff that nobody's heard before that will get them thinking than doing nothing, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, 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 yeah. We have to, and I've not, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> But it, people do it. People are doing it. Right. You have to make yourself... You have to commit yourself to meeting people's needs. And you have yeah. to make yourself indispensable to that activity. And then you can try and sell them your newspaper. Yeah. But first... <laughs> A subscription. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't start with trying to sell someone your newspaper and be like, here's where all the ideas are. Yeah. Then come back to me when you're ready to make revolution. Yeah, come back to me when you've read Capital. Because yeah. <laughs> I have... <laughs> Um, yeah. And I mean, sectarianism also just breeds this like intellectual superiority and you completely lose touch with what socialism is, which is making people's lives better. Right. It's like, if you're not doing anything to make people's lives better, then it's like, fuck off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this idea that I, I've got to come across with a lot of people of like, 
you want to give all power to the people, huh? Well, what about the dumbass Winston Churchill quote of like, you know, the greatest argument against a democracy is like an, an average conversation with like the average voter or whatever. Like sec sectarianism breeds these ideas that like you yourself are better than these other people. And like, first of all, you're not. And like, secondly, if you don't believe that, or like, if you do believe that, then like, socialism is impossible like if you if you don't trust people's inherent capabilities to better themselves and to run their own lives i will gatekeep and say that you are not a socialist like period yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. it can't work if you don't believe yeah. that so yeah there's a point in this where he says the sect form is the sort of truest political expression of what he calls like neo-stalinism <laughs> but he's basically talking about like those sects which imagine themselves inserting themselves as the leadership of the movement kind of thing which is ba we've come across this idea right it's basically mm. jacobinism yeah. oh. like, <laughs> the goddamn jacobins are active again i mean we joke that there aren't any well they're back you know, <laughs> we joke that there aren't any blonkists but like <laughs> the blonkists kind of blonkist. have become jacobins exactly <laughs> and the jacobins still exist yeah exactly Everyone is kind of a Jacobin. A <laughs> we've al we've evolved like, in our position from everyone's a liberal. Like the Fabians are basically just Jacobins. Yeah. And like, I don't know. The Maoists are kind of just Jacobins. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Also, I just want to say too, none of those... If you meet someone who calls themselves a Maoist, like, or someone who calls themselves like an ML, as much as we joke, it's like, no one's that. It's like, what does that mean? Yeah, like, yeah. come just shake these people. Be like, that isn't what you are. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Uh -huh, uh -huh. What are you going to do? Other than me, I'm a Maoist. Speaking of Maoism, how about that reference to The Guardian and Paul Sweezy's monthly review? I realize now that that was not The Guardian the of today. Because okay. I was like, huh, what was going on in the 70s? Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that's weird. Yeah, what was The Guardian's US wing doing? <laughs> yeah. There is a guy, a guy who thinks that his uh, political center is The Guardian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, that point, isn't it? Because, like, sort of jokes aside, I guess, like, this structure that he's describing could be applied to any particular system kind of thing. Like mm. Monthly Review Press is described as a political center. Sure. Now he's just talking about developing a Marxist center. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a different thing. Yeah. And if any of those people who actually who wrote for Monthly Review actually talked to people instead of just being gross little mole people, that's a joke. I don't know. I'm sure they're very nice. <laughs> um, I've read some good Monthly Review books. Yeah. yeah. Monthly Review is good. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's all good. If it's socialist, yeah, 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 it's yeah. good. If, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with everybody, so I'll just call it good. Don't like, reject it as a political center. If it's advantageous yeah. to you, then go for it. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Again, so I, I really like this coming across. What can you do? And also, it was a little bit more like, I like things that aren't just like full-on attack mode. It's a little bit like, it's attack mode, but it's also like, there are sex because there can there cannot not be sex. Like, there yeah. have to be sex right now because there's no yeah. movement. So yeah, yeah, yeah. don't hate everybody. It's basically know? a law of nature. Yeah. Like, yeah. Left calm. Organizations left will spin themselves apart if they're not being spun <laughs> together again. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, Hal Draper was this. So we read this. We read socialism from above, socialism from below. We read it. Is this? The we third read thing? the. No, we read the text on the on the dictatorship of the proletariat. Yeah. It was also him. Yeah, so, so this is our third. Yeah. Third installment of mm. reading small essays by Hal Draper <laughs> that are all excellent. Um, if Send anyone... us your favorite Hal Draper essay. <laughs> yeah, please. This is a Hal Draper podcast now. This is Hal Draper's political center. Hal Draper approved. Um, if anyone is still listening this mm -hmm. far into the episode, 
and has listened all the way to the end of several other episodes, you'll know that Dan and I have talked about um, Warhammer 40k Kill Team. Mm-hmm. It's here, folks. We pulled the trigger. We did it. Um, and maybe by Christmas we'll play a game. Yeah, <laughs> I think it'll happen sooner than that. <laughs> I mean, it'll take us that long to read the rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe it'll drive us back toward capital, right? <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. trying to understand the rules for... <laughs> Or have a 40,000 kill team. <laughs> yeah, the, what are these rules? <laughs> the rules for capitalism. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So yeah, folks, that'll be fun. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think we're going to go and crack a beer. Yeah. And uh, and uh, clip some guys from some sprues. Clip some sprues, folks. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and have some plastic glue. Yeah, exactly. Have a good yeah. time. <laughs> no ventilation. <laughs> folks, if you're working on Warhammer 40k models, it's a liberal bourgeois lie that you need to have ventilation. <laughs> That's not true. Please have ventilation. Um, all right. It's been fun. It's been very fun. This has been great. Um, yep. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, I've been Dan. This has been Auxiliary Statements. Thank you all very much. We'll see you uh, next week, as per usual. I've been Jack. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>